in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul um, is quite clear later on we'll see that his preaching, his message doesn't come with clever or, or wise words, uh, but with the Spirit's power. So I'm going to pray that the Spirit would help us uh, as we listen to him uh, speak now. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we heard this morning, you have revealed yourself in your word and most supremely in your Son, the Lord Jesus. But Father, we know that uh, without your Spirit's work in our lives, we would be blind to you. And so, Father, we pray that your Spirit would be at work this evening, that he would help me in my speaking and that he would help us all in listening to what you have to say to us through your word this evening. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin this evening, I want you to imagine a society where moral standards are thought very little of, where permissiveness is celebrated and any sort of restraint is laughed at. Imagine a society where fame is more important than character and style matters more than substance. Uh, Imagine a society that pats itself on the back for its wisdom, its knowledge, and its progression. Uh, Imagine a society that tolerates many different faiths, many gods, uh, as long as none of them claim to be ultimate. Uh, Imagine a society in which the church is often compromised by worldliness, individualism, and disunity. It's not that hard to imagine, is it? It's not that hard to imagine because, well, it's a lot like the society we live in today. It's a description of life in London, in Chessington, at the start of 2019. It's our society. But it was also Corinthian society in AD 54. You see, despite the nearly 2,000-year gap from when this letter was written... Things haven't changed all that much. And that means that as we look through this letter, we'll find that there's hardly a subject raised that isn't still a big issue for us today. Issues around spirituality, marriage, singleness, style of worship, sexual immorality, spiritual gifts, these are all issues contained within this letter. And so in our next few evenings over this term and into next term and in our life groups, we're going to be studying this letter to the Corinthians. We're going to see what God has to say to his church back then and also to his church here today. And this evening we're starting with these first nine verses. So make sure you can see 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1 to 9 in front of you. We're going to work through that. And before we get stuck in, the the original context of this letter can be found in Acts chapter 18. We're not going to look much at that now, but do go home this week and read Acts chapter 18. It'll it'll give you the bigger picture, the context of what's going on. There we find Paul's visit to Corinth recorded for us. As far as we can tell, Paul arrived in the city around AD 50, and he stays there for about a year and a half. During that time, in Acts 18, verse 8, we read that many of the Corinthians who heard him, who heard Paul, believed and were baptized. 
Now, overall, it seems to have been a positive time, an encouraging time for Paul in Corinth. A time of conversion and growth of the church. But then in AD 51, Paul moves on to Ephesus, where he stays for three or so years. And towards the end of that time, it seems that Paul begins to hear of problems back in Corinth. We know that from the letter itself. So just look down at 1 verse 11 and you'll see that, that Paul, is told, uh, Paul hears about quarrels going on in the church, disunity. Later in chapter 7, verse 1, we see that the church seems to have written to Paul about some issues, some problems they're having, things they're struggling with, disagreeing over. And so Paul's first letter, this letter we're looking at, is a response to those problems, those issues that have come up in the church. But he doesn't jump straight into the big issues. He begins his letter with his normal introduction, Uh, And then he thanks God for a number of things. And it's those things I want us to spend our time looking at this evening. And the first thing that we see is that Paul thanks God for his grace. Just look at verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Paul begins his letter, as he often does, by thanking God for the people he's writing to, the Corinthians. Uh, As I say, that's quite a normal way. If you look through the other letters that Paul writes, that's a fairly normal way for him to begin a letter. But in the Corinthians' case, it's a little bit surprising. You see, as we read through the letter, it becomes clear that there's this sort of anti-Paul feeling, anti-Paul group developing in the church. Uh, Many of the Corinthian Christians, well, they, they seem to be just distancing themselves from the Apostle Paul. Christians who once heard and believed the the gospel that Paul preached to them, well, they they now thought that they had moved on to bigger and better things. And so, we'll see, they thought Paul lacked the wisdom, the spirituality, and the power that they had discovered uh, since he had gone off to Ephesus. And so you can imagine, can't you, that it must have been hard for Paul to hear that in just a few years, the Corinthians, that well, they had begun to think of him as well, just a bit weak, a little bit pathetic. And the gospel that he preached uh, as a bit boring, a bit basic, now that they had moved on. However, despite the, the anti-Paul feeling amongst the Corinthians, he still begins his letter by genuinely thanking God for them. More specifically, he he thanks God for his grace in their lives, the grace given to them in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul knew the gospel. He understood that despite the fact the Corinthians deserved nothing except for God's right anger and judgment, God, in his amazing grace, gave his one and only son, the Lord Jesus, to die on a cross and be raised to new life, so that those same Corinthians could be forgiven. So that, verse 2, they could be sanctified. They could be made clean, holy in God's sight. And so no longer face his punishment, but instead his forgiveness and his acceptance. Paul knew the gospel. He, He knows that in Christ, the Corinthians have been given this free gift 
of salvation. A gift that they in no way deserve. And so naturally, he gives thanks to God. He gives thanks for God's grace in the lives of the Corinthians. And in doing so, he also begins to tackle one of the issues that we'll see come up again and again in this letter. The issue of pride. You see, some within the church, they had begun to think that they were some sort of special class of Christian. They thought that their gifts, their power, their wisdom and knowledge meant that they had kind of progressed to the next level of Christianity. They had left Paul and other Christians in their wake, and so they had become proud. And so in his opening few sentences, Paul, well, he wants to set the tone for the rest of his letter. And he reminds the Corinthians that they are what they are because of God's grace given to them in the Lord Jesus. They are what they are because of God's grace given to them in the Lord Jesus. And right at the start of a new year, right at the start of a new series, that is something that all of us need reminding of, isn't it? Whoever we are, whether we're in Corinth or Chessington, it is our constant temptation to forget God's grace. To forget that all that we are, all that we have, has been given to us freely and undeserved by God. We need to be reminded and give thanks for God's grace. That's the first thing that Paul gives thanks for, God's grace. The second is that he thanks God for his gifts. Look at verse 5. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Paul says that the Corinthians have been enriched. It's a full word, isn't it? It's a great word. They've been enriched in every way. Or as he says in verse 7, God has given them every spiritual gift in Christ. They lack nothing in Christ. And if it was a surprise that, that Paul thanked God for the Corinthians in general, it's even more surprising that he chooses to thank God for the specific gifts of speaking and knowledge. That's even more surprising because, as we'll see, it's in those two areas that the Corinthians have got some major problems. You see, the Corinthians, they were a church who were obsessed with looking and sounding impressive. In public speaking, they were all about eloquence, rhetoric, wise words. And when it came to knowledge, well, it seemed they'd been drawn into and impressed by the world's wisdom and philosophy rather than God's. The result was that, that certain people in the church, impressive speakers and thinkers, well, they were being elevated to, to prominent positions, whilst others, well, they were just forgotten, cast aside. It also led to division over church leaders. We'll see next week that there's people who are trying to follow their favourite preachers and leaders, the ones they think are the most impressive. And so that feeds into this anti-Paul feeling that's growing in the church. And so you can see why it's surprising then that Paul highlights and even gives thanks for the Corinthians' gifts of speaking and knowledge. It's surprising, but... 
But the reason Paul can still thank God for those things is that he's able to distinguish between the gift and the misuse or the the misunderstanding of the gift. You see, he doesn't doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He doesn't deny the existence of gifts altogether. No, he's pleased. He's pleased that the Corinthians have been given these gifts. Uh, But he's also clear that that is exactly what they are. They are gifts. They are from God. And therefore, they're to be used for God. And so far from a reason to boast, Paul will say later in chapter 4, verse 7, who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? (laughs) Gifts are not a reason to boast in yourself. That's bizarre. They're from God. They are gifts. And so rather than using our gifts to, to elevate some and ignore others, Paul will go on to remind them in chapter 12 that that God has gifted his people in different ways. That all are equally valuable, all are part of the body, as he'll describe it. And so all should use their gifts to serve and love one another, not themselves. You see, in other words, Paul wants the Corinthians to have a God-centered or Christ-centered view of their gifts. And as I mentioned earlier on, I think this is probably one of the key issues in the letter. The key issue for the Corinthians was that they had become self-centered rather than Christ-centered. They become self-centered rather than Christ-centered. And so whether it was in the areas of wisdom or power or freedom or spirituality or gifts, all themes that will keep coming up in the letter... In all these areas, the Corinthians had made it all about me, all about themselves. In the time between Acts chapter 18 and the writing of this letter, their focus had shifted away from Christ and firmly on themselves. And as we're going to see, the results of that shift are disastrous for the church. But that's all to come. Because for now, Paul, well, he's just gently reminding them. He wants the Corinthians to remember that all that they have, all their gifts, are those things. They are gifts. They're given to them in Christ. And so he gives thanks to God for them. Paul thanks God for his grace. He thanks God for his gifts. And finally, he thanks God for his guarantee. Let's look at verse 7 with me. Therefore... You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's by God's grace that the Corinthians have been saved and sanctified, set apart for God. It's by his grace that they have been enriched and gifted in every way. And Paul says it's by God's grace that they will one day arrive safely in heaven. The Corinthians, all Christians in fact, are completely dependent on God's grace from beginning to end. And that is a reason for great confidence this evening. 
You can see where Paul's confidence is in the verses, can't you? Verse 8, he, that's God, will keep you firm to the end. Verse 9, God is faithful. So if you're a Christian here this evening, if you're connected to Christ, or as verse 9 puts it, called into fellowship with him, if you put your faith in Jesus, well, then you can give thanks to God because he has guaranteed to keep you to the end. And that guarantee, it doesn't change depending on your circumstances. Which means maybe there'll be some here that that 2019, the year ahead, well, it, it fills you with anxiety, with dread, worry about what might lie ahead. Well, Paul says that whatever happens, whatever trials you might face, whatever trials you might currently be facing, you can still give thanks to God because in Christ he has guaranteed to keep you firm to the end. And he is always faithful. So Paul thanks God for his guarantee, the guarantee that Christ will return and he will keep us until that day. But I think there's another reason that he begins his letter by talking about the last day and Christ's return and future glory. I think he's reminding the Corinthians that, well, that they're not there yet. That might seem pretty obvious to us. But you see, the, the Corinthians, they were so impressed with themselves, so impressed with their gifts and abilities that, well, they thought they had arrived. <coughs> Excuse me. They thought that, that life couldn't really get any better. And so they were behaving as though they had already reached glory. Later in chapter 4, Paul sarcastically write, Already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. Already you've begun to reign. He's sarcastic because he thinks that, you see, he knows the Corinthians think that they've made it. They think that they've arrived. They're not waiting for the glory of Christ to be revealed. No, they've already reached glory in their minds. But as we're going to see, that is a huge mistake to make. Because in, in, in thinking that they had arrived, the Corinthians had become complacent. They were so comfortable, so satisfied with themselves that, well, frankly, they'd stopped worrying about sin. They'd stopped fighting against the temptations of the world and they'd just given in to any and all of their desires. As we'll see, there, there are large sections of 1 Corinthians where Paul is addressing issues of sin and immorality in the church. The Corinthians thought they had arrived and so they had become comfortable, complacent in this life. They needed reminding that they are still waiting for Christ's return, that they had not yet reached glory. And again, it's a, it's a reminder that we all need to hear, isn't it? A reminder that we need to keep hearing. The reminder that the reality is we are still in the lifeboat, as it were. We've been saved from the sinking ship of the past, but in the present we're still in the lifeboat. We're still being brought through rocky seas. And so, of course, 
as we've just seen, there's no doubt that we will land safely on the other side. God will make sure of that. But we haven't landed yet. And because we haven't arrived, we need to keep depending on God's grace as we fight sin and live wholeheartedly for Christ. Paul makes this clear right at the end of his letter in chapter 15. In chapter 15, he, he's just spent 57 verses explaining that Christ's resurrection guarantees we'll make it to the other side, that, that not even death can stop us, re- stop us reaching our final destination. He reminds us of those things, and then he says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Do you see? The fact that God will keep us firm to the end doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing. No, Paul says it'll mean that we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. I know that here this evening we, we might not go as far as thinking that we've arrived in glory. But it is possible, isn't it, for us to become too comfortable, too complacent. And so just to stop laboring for the Lord, as Paul says. Living in the West and belonging to a big church like this one with lots of activities and groups and people, uh, it can bring with it the danger of thinking that we can just comfortably coast through the Christian life. But before we know it, our comfort leads to complacency. We stop depending on God and we stop living wholeheartedly for him. And slowly but subtly, the door is open to sin. Three areas that I think complacency might show itself is in our prayer life, our holiness, and our evangelism. If we think that everything is going well and we don't need anything, then we begin to think that we don't need God either. And so we won't humble ourselves before him in prayer. We won't see the need to make sure we spend time praying each day. We won't see the need to drag ourselves out on a Tuesday evening to a church prayer meeting. In his book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, Don Carson says that prayerlessness is one of the big issues in the Western church today. He writes that we've learned to organise build institutions, publish books, insert ourselves into media, develop evangelistic strategies, administer discipleship programs, but we've forgotten how to pray. Complacency leads to lack of prayer. It also leads to a lack of holiness. This was the big issue in Corinth. And so we're not going to go into it now, but we're going to come back to that a number of times over the term. They had big issues with holiness. When I was younger, I used to kind of think that holiness just got easier with age. So I used to look at older Christians and think, well, when I get to their stage of life, then I won't have this issue anymore and everything will just be easy. 
If that's what you think, uh, I've realized that's not true. Um, and, and with different stages of life come different challenges. Holiness is a lifelong battle. Yes, God has promised to keep us firm to the end. But as Paul says in verse 2, we are called to be his holy people. Called to keep struggling, to keep fighting against sin every single day until Christ returns. Prayer, holiness, and evangelism. If we become so complacent that we stop thinking about the fact that Christ will return, then we will stop telling others about him. We'll lose any sense of urgency. And we definitely won't put ourselves in uncomfortable situations for the sake of telling someone else the gospel. So you can see complacency, comfort, thinking that we've arrived, it's a real danger for the church. It's a danger for our church. And so we need to hear Paul's words and ask God that we would be people who are eagerly waiting, as he says, eagerly waiting for Jesus Christ to be revealed. And that while we wait, we would depend on God in prayer as we fight for holiness and we keep telling other people about Jesus. Paul begins his letter by thanking God. Thanking God for his grace, for his generosity, and for his guarantee that Christ will return and that he'll keep us to the end. And so I hope you've seen that as he does this, Paul is subtly but firmly shifting the Corinthians' focus. He's shifting it away from themselves and back towards Christ. In fact, Christ is mentioned ten times in the first ten verses of this letter because Paul wants the Corinthians to stop boasting in themselves, stop putting their confidence in what they think they can do, and instead put all of their focus, all of their confidence, all of their boasting in Christ. Boast in Christ as they thank God for all that they have received in him. And I hope that we'll do the same. That as we start this year and as we start our way through this letter, we would fix our eyes on Christ. That we wouldn't be self-centered, but Christ-centered. In all that we think, all that we say, and all that we do. We need God's help to do that, so I'm going to pray that he would help us in that now. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that in him we have been saved and sanctified. We have been enriched in every way. And that we have that sure hope that you will bring us safely home to be with him for eternity. Father, why would we look anywhere else but to him? We pray that that would be our focus this year as a church, as individuals, Father, we would focus on Christ, keeping him central in all that we do. For his name's sake we pray. Amen.